Good morning. My name is Stephen Riley. I'm lead pastor here at Living Waters Church. Again, welcome those online. Looking forward to connected one way or the other. I do want to give you a little bit more information so you can be praying accurately about our, um, uh, our candidate for student minister here at Living Waters Church. His name is Brax Pate, B-R-A-X. He's 21. He goes to a Bible college called Highlands Bible College right now. He graduate in May. And um, uh, we've had two interviews with him, one in person uh, down in, at a conference, and then we've uh, had a search committee have an interview with him. And we like what has happened so far in these two interviews. Uh, he is a, a young man passionate and seeking God in his life and has a, a, a special you know, desire and uh, gift and anointing with young people. And so he'll be coming in late Thursday night of the last weekend of January, be with us through Sunday afternoon. So uh, if you haven't met him in the weekend uh, events with young people, then you'll meet him Sunday morning in two weeks from now. And so can you just pray with us that we'll have the discernment and Brax will have the discernment of God's will in this situation. We want God's best for him. And God's best for us at this time. In fact, let's just do, let's just do it together right now. But if you would put this on your, your uh, uh, prayer list for the next uh, few weeks. Father, thank you for this young man, Brax. You are working in his life. We're a, just uh, excited for him. We pray, Lord God, that you confirm your will uh, in, in the uh, uh, ministry needs that we have. And that also for his life if he, as he seeks uh, the, to fulfill the calling on his life. And Lord, we thank you for that, and we pray that we'll all be mutually built up uh, when we're together in two weeks, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that. Well, as uh, Pastor Philip mentioned, uh, we had too short of a one-night retreat uh, with elders and staff. We haven't done one of those in a long time, and uh, it was like less than 20 hour, 24 hours. It was too short. Our... our set of servant leaders that you have here are amazing, and, and we really needed and, and, and could have spent several days together. Um, and one thing that happened there is, as we opened up our couple of sessions, we were just, um, I was just allowing us to be honest about how we were doing with uh, the passing of our dear friends, and, and so that ended up kind of changing the agenda uh, for what we, you know, we didn't accomplish on the agenda as much as we wanted to, but we able felt like we followed the leading of the Lord and ended up ministering to one another as well. And so uh, as uh, the day went on, I began praying, Lord, should we shift the theme for tomorrow morning's message because others uh, are dealing with the same type of um, uh, just heartfelt uh, emotions and reactions uh, in losing our dear friends and um, perhaps we need to spend some time on this, but we know that some people haven't known the Burks or the Timpsons very well, or, or none at all, and yet we're all familiar with loss in our lives, be it loss of a job, loss of a friendship, loss of a loved one to death. It, we've all experienced loss, and so in that sense, I believe uh, the message here today will have... Um, be you know fruitful for each one of us, despite um, 
uh, kind of where we are with, with these two families. And so what I thought I'd do is just kind of start off and share a few things about the Burks and the Tiptons uh, so that you know where some of us are coming from as far as our relationship uh, with them. And uh, so this is Kevin and Marta Burke, and uh, they were members of this church uh, for a number of years, uh, and uh, Kevin was on uh, the board for a number of those years, and Marta uh, was, uh, you know, one of the leaders in the children's ministry. Uh, next slide. Kevin and Marta are just, uh, you know, they're just family-focused, and these two young, beautiful ladies grew up here in uh, Living Waters uh, Church. And, uh, and really was used of the Lord as they matured. And, uh, and Kevin was a man dedicated, devoted to his wife and his children, and really an example uh, for that. They were a lot of fun, and uh, just uh, was uh, a, a person that really walked in a, in a sense of the peace and the joy of the Lord. Um, you can take that picture down. I'm going to just talk a little bit more about Kevin uh, and kind of how he impacted uh, my life, and I know many people, is that when you spent time with Kevin, he was on a different pace than you or me, at least for me. And his, uh, he was such a good listener. And when he would respond, he took his time. And, and that uh, was for someone that's got a lot to do for the, during the day. It would, he, would, he would really lead me or force me into his pace. And it was good for me. I needed that. And, but what it spoke, it spoke volumes. He was saying that uh, my relationship with you counts. And I want to invest in you right now. And so that style, that personality, that way he focused on the one-on-one uh, like that was... was uh, a, an ex, just the expression of his love in an effective way to disciple and minister to people. And I want to encourage you, be inspired by that example and put in a, a new priority in your heart that the one-on-one relationship discipleship is biblical. It's, it's effective. It's fruitful. And let us uh, be inspired by Kevin's example in that way. Uh, Kevin... Uh, and I share a mutual good best friend, uh, Roger Gaines. In fact, if you knew that as young men, uh, Kevin witnessed to Roger when Roger wasn't a believer and prayed with him for salvation. And, and now Roger's one of my best friends. So I'm indebted uh, for life uh, in, in that way uh, as well. Kenny Tipton and uh, his Wife Judy uh, belonged to this church for a number of years and were on staff uh, during the 90s when we had a Christian school and all of these classrooms were full of kids uh, five days a week. Kenny was the maintenance man full-time. Judy was part-time in the, in, the, in the cleaning the facility. And then at some point after we, the school left the building and was in another building, we didn't need full-time uh, you know, work like that on, on the property. You know, He went and found full-time work and other places, and we've stayed good friends over the years, but it was such a blessing that just about two and a half, three months ago, uh, he was able to come back in a part-time role and, and serve us again. Uh, and uh, um, going on to the next picture, his 
two children uh, pictured here. You have Zach in, in the beard and, and then Stacy, the blonde young lady there, uh, are children that grew up in this church. Uh, Zach has four children uh, of his own. And so um, uh, Kenny is a grandparent and you know, our heart goes out to those grandchildren. But Kenny had a big smile and he was easy to laugh, easy to joke with, and he had kind of a, a quirky, fun personality that way. And uh, he was also, um, and, and thank you for those pictures, he was also a man of conviction. And he uh, really had a gift and a heart for evangelism. Um, and, and I don't remember how often or how many years, but for many years he carried a cross, a big wooden, one of those big, huge wooden crosses, uh, through uh, towns and cities and neighborhoods uh, to grab the attention of people that, hey, Jesus is real, and uh, he's the only way to heaven, and, and, uh, and he was bold. And that's what I want and to encourage us in his example to remind us, let's be bold more like Kenny, and let's be clear about who Jesus is. We're going to start in uh, John chapter 16, verse 32, and as our first scripture reference. And, uh, and, but I'd like to not only pray over the word, but just pray uh, for these two families right now. Well, Father, a lot is going on uh, in the Tipton household. They're trying to get the arrangements together uh, and in the Burke family as they are going to be... Um, uh, in visitation today at 1 o'clock to 6, and then 6 p.m. the funeral. Lord, there's a lot going on there, uh, more than we can imagine. And so we ask, Lord God, that you would um, uh, meet them where they are and in uh, all that they're going through. Uh, and, Lord, we pray that they sense your closeness in the midst of the suffering. And, Lord God, that they would um, know your love and the love of family and be comforted uh, this day and into this week. Lord, we pray that your word teaches us in such a way that your word empowers us and, uh, and heals our hearts and wounds, but also empowers us to, to see reality and eternity where it really is, Lord, as your word declares, and that we would live in that. In Jesus' name, amen. I so wish when we talk to uh, seekers and wanting to know more about the gospel, we could say, and when you give your life to Christ, then all trouble and suffering ends. I wish we could say that. We can say that uh, some of the suffering that you're putting on yourself from your uh, lack of wisdom, the sins that you are pursuing and committed to, there'll be less consequences of those sins and and, and less suffering that you're just bringing on yourself. But in this fallen world, there is there are trials and tribulations and sufferings of all kinds. Uh, of the full gamut. In John chapter 16, we, we see this. this is, these, uh, John 14, 15, 16, 17 are those chapters where Jesus is speaking to really his 11 disciples. Because... Uh, um, Judas has left the group there, and he is um, really preparing them for what's going to happen in a few hours when he is 
betrayed and he's arrested and, and he's uh, going to be crucified and he's preparing them. He's giving them just, just meat, just hardcore meat for life. And he's lets them know you're, you're going to be scattered. It's this, this group, we've stayed together for three years. I mean, we're buddies and pals, but you, you may not believe this. We're going to be scattered. And verse 32 says, behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered. This is verse 32 of chapter 16. Each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the father is with me. Verse 33. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. So he knows he's about to enter the greatest uh, you know, amount of suffering he's experienced yet. He's going to be scattered. They're going to scatter. He's going to be left alone. He's declaring, but the Father is with me. He's declaring that, and he, he's even preparing himself as best he can for what's going to happen over the next few hours. And he says, these things I have spoken to you so that you may have peace. Even in this terminal time, you can have peace. In fact, in the world, you will have tribulation. He didn't say, I'm going to put tribulation on purpose because I'm going to... No, he didn't say, he just said, in this fallen world, we have tribulation. And I'm going to go through some of it myself, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So Jesus didn't try to, uh, you know, uh, make light of our futures, that, but he did say, hey, take courage. I have, the promise is, I've overcome the world in the... That means all the, the world, all the suffering that comes in the world, he's overcome it all, and we can take courage in that. See, Jesus lived a human life, and we know that uh, we're confident that, that his earthly father, Joseph, was not in the picture at all in, 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 the, in his adult ministry, that he must have died at some point in there uh, during Jesus' life. We know that he experienced rejection, no, no telling on how he was teased as a boy, being so unique and so different. Uh, but he experienced great rejection, of course, to, even to the point where the crowds who he had even healed and, and loved were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, kill him, a, torture him, torture him, is what that is, to the point of death. And then, as we just read, even his 12 closest comrades uh, that he poured his life out to were scattered and, and, and did leave him alone. He even understood the emotions connected to these things. He was full of God and full of man, and even the Gospel of Luke describes him in that last night before he was betrayed, going to the Father in prayer by himself and saying, if, you can, uh, uh, if this cup can pass from me, yet not my will, but your, be, your will be done. Where he was crying uh, tears so intensely, the, the drops began being filled with blood. And so, on the emotional gamut, I don't know if you've cried tears so intensely that there was uh, drops of blood. Now, maybe your face gets red and all that, but he went to the next level where there was even drops of blood coming out of his capillaries. It is a, a medical condition that can happen. So he understood the gamut of emotions of distress, trouble, and suffering. 
he didn't just live in those images we remember growing up on the wall in the Sunday school class with Jesus with this pale white face gazing into the sky, no grin, just very uh, pious and peaceful. And he wasn't like that all day long. He had the full gamut of emotions, of joy, of even great distress. And so we find in the passage of Isaiah 53 that, that Jesus really did live, uh, a, was a man who understood suffering. Go there with me, Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4. This chapter is a prophetic chapter. It's, the, it's a chapter that many Jewish people don't bother to look at, even emit, because it points so clearly to that Jesus Christ really does fulfill the picture that the Hebrew Scriptures said who the Messiah would be. And, and so they like to try to ignore this chapter. It's a chapter, a powerful chapter, for a Jewish person to read if they've have not received Jesus as their Messiah. And here's a couple of verses in the beginning of this chapter. It says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he bore himself. He himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So this phrase, he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We often don't think of Jesus like that. But the scriptures call him that. He understood, like I said, rejection and loss of relationship. And perhaps even the losing his earthly father. And now... In this situation, he's looking at, uh, when he was praying in the garden there for this cup to pass, he's trying to fathom what it's like taking on all of our sin and our wounds and our brokenness on himself. Thank God for this path that he took, this path that he said yes to. I don't have it on the screen, but the next verse in verse 5 says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. His suffering made the way for our forgiveness of our sins, our washing us clean, our healing of our bodies, and even bringing joy and restoration to our sufferings and to our uh, hopelessness and experiences of despair. Christianity is unique this way, where the God that people worship is the God that went through everything that we went through and more so that we could receive all of his life and his victory. There is a certain type of intimacy in Christ that is unique in times of suffering and pain and sorrow. We love worship and prayer. We love intimate times when we're on our knees, when we see the throne uh, room like it is, how majestic it is, and, and, and we just honor it so much. We love times like where it says the, 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 the disciple that leaned on his, on his bosom, on his breast, the Apostle John, we think, oh, look how close uh, they, they had in their friendship and their love, and, and, and we sense that in his warmth and closeness and peace. But we, there's also an intimacy 
that when we're vulnerable, we're broken, we're even naked and ashamed, and we're just feel all alone, except Jesus is with you. And in the tears and in the brokenness, you feel His hand on your arm around you, you're holding your hand. You don't feel alone, though you look alone, maybe, but you sense Him close. It is not a, a, a biblical view to say when I go through hard times and my prayers are not answered and I'm going through pain and suffering, God must be far. He must be getting farther than, and just because His victory, I'm not seeing His victory and I'm seeing, not seeing the answered prayers. I'm not seeing, He must be getting. No, 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 He's a man who's familiar with suffering and acquainted with grief. He is close. And in the moments where you can't even get out of bed or get off the floor, Jesus is there. And there's an intimacy when you sense that that is different than the intimacy of other realms of life. I want to give you just... Kind of go through some a few aspects about grief and mourning uh, to help uh, us uh, minister to families like the Burks and and the Tiptons or other friends going through uh, similar things right now or in the recent past. But grief and mourning are actually have a slight difference, a very important, distinct difference, and I want to bring that out because grief is the distressful emotions and thoughts. We have inside during times of loss in our minds, our, our emotions, our hearts. And everyone experiences grief in the times of loss, but not everyone experiences, is, is the, excuse me, not everyone mourns. Because grief are the emotions inside of us, but mourning is, is the expression of those emotions. And what... Uh, Counselors and psychologists and those who work hours and hours with helping people go through great losses. They find that if you suppress those emotions and those thoughts and do all you can to deny them and not feel them, that it has repercussions to your being, to your soul and your mind. Even increase physical illnesses in your body that were not made to live like that, to suppress and hold it in. And so I want us to say, Living Waters family, let's all give whoever's experiencing loss freedom to whatever gamut emotions, lack of emotions, or great emotions on any spectrum. Let's just give them freedom. Let's be that good listener where they can say those things or feel those things in front of you, and you won't be alarmed and back away. There's uh, a scripture in the Beatitudes, the, the longest sermon create, uh, recorded in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 5, and in that first paragraph of what we call the Beatitudes, where Jesus is going to the heart, and he's saying in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a blessing when you express those honest emotions and thoughts. There's a healing there that comes from the way, from the Spirit of God and the way God created us. Interesting enough, 
Stacy Tipton Kenny's daughter had that reference Matthew 5:4 on her Facebook post when she posted that her father had gone on to be with Jesus. And what we need to do as a people of, of healing and uh, restoration is to make ourselves available and be patient wherever gamut and expression people are going through at the time. It really was not till 1969 that people started trying to categorize and capture what this process is of grief and, and mourning. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book on death and dying, and she had five stages of grief, really uh, capturing that, hey, it could be this emotion, could be this. and then it, some wrote and expanded to seven stages, and then others uh, uh, wrote ten stages, and and then some people would, would say, okay, this is stage one, two, and three, and it's chronological. No, no, that doesn't work either because people are all over the page and it comes and goes and it's, there's no order to it. And so some of those books were helpful, yet it, 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 it can't pinpoint somebody. And as many snowflakes there are is how unique our mourning is with each of us or the situation that it is. In fact, one thing can happen to us is that we can experience a compounding experiences of, of loss to where uh, five, ten years later, uh, you lose a hamster or a, a, a beloved pet or it's, it may not even be that significant, but it takes you back five to ten years ago and you experience a set of emotions and mourning that say, where did this come from? It's really not something you can explain and put on a chart. It can even surprise us in the outburst or the feeling or lack of feeling can surprise us. And what can be concerning is isolation during a season like this. So it's better to go toward that pain and suffering instead of trying to deny it or run away from it. It's better to talk about the person that you've lost and not feel uh, uncomfortable that you know, you're going to uh, make someone else uncomfortable. Talk about that person you've lost, that relationship you've lost. And feel free to ask, oh God, why? The hard questions of why to God. It can, anger can even be an emotion and an anger to God. Why? Oftentimes I've heard preachers talk about this and I've, I've thought, well, maybe this... No, it's not right to say you shouldn't say why to God. I'm going to tell you, God is securely on His throne. He's not fragile. Your relationship with Him is not fragile. He's a man familiar with sorrow and acquainted with grief. He would rather you be honest and blunt with Him about your anger, about your questions, why, than hold those in and pretend they don't exist. Because that's not good for your soul, for your inner being. In fact, Jesus himself, I'll tell you, I saw this last night or this morning, looking at the scripture again, that Jesus in John 16 said, And though you will scatter, I will not be alone. The Father will be with me. But yet on the cross, hours later, before he breathed his last, what he experienced and felt was, Oh my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? That, that sin, taking on your, my sin, Stephen Riley's sin and your sin, it was the real deal. That wasn't some symbolic thing. He really did, was judged for our sin and experienced the judgment from his perfect relationship with Father and that the first time in his life, he's like, oh my God, my gosh, why have you, what's going on right now? What is this? It's what other humans feel. When they're separated from God, it's when they go through suffering and they believe God is distant. One of the most popular psalms for really many occasions, and it does, as you know, it's often read at funerals because every verse is so powerful, Psalm 23. These first three verses say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. That phrase, He restores my soul. Folks, our souls need restoring. When we experience rejection, when we experience confusion, we experience loss and the fear... And the anguish or the anger, our souls need restoring. He knew that. And as a good shepherd, he provides that. I've uh, just been a, you know, just a learner in this area uh, since I was a chaplain and studied and went through the, uh, the master's level programs in, in hospitals to be a certified, a board-certified chaplain. Uh, we went through all that when we lived in Philadelphia. And, and, um, uh, and, and so one of the websites that I've actually found later on after I moved here to Kentucky, heard this man speak, Alan Wolfelt, in Louisville at a seminar. And he's got a website called centerforloss.com. And since he was 16 years old, he has been serving people I'm coming alongside those who've been grieving and mourning, and he's, you know, in his 60s now. And so he's written many books, but he's got articles on his website for, like, any situation you can imagine of a sudden loss or a, uh, you know, a loved one, a, a long, uh, you know, slow suffering and then finally dying of whatever, you know, and he's got these different articles related to many scenarios. So I encourage you, if you want to learn more, I really... Uh, like his material. But one thing that he and I've actually found others, and I've uh, worked on this myself, is what not to say at a funeral. Um, I, uh, as in my marketplace ministry work, I am like a chaplain for a couple of businesses. I provide emotional and personal support for uh, through confidential conversations for family or uh, private or issues and and so it's like short-term counseling and one of the areas that i've taught on with videotape uh clip series and things for these companies is you know how to this whole process of grief and mourning because i may be called in or i'll support a family who's lost a loved one in the company and you know it's really just uh because we haven't thought it through that well we just are in habits and we say things we say every day uh you know in the south when you say and pass someone, and 
down the sidewalk, whether you know them well or not, what do you say? You say, uh, how you doing? You know, whether you really want to have a long conversation and ask them, it's just a habit. You say, how, how you doing? And a couple years ago, it's been two and a half years ago, my father passed away, and I'm back in Lynchburg, Virginia, for the visitation and so forth and the funeral. And so I haven't seen people in many years. And so there were a couple people that day said, Stephen, how you doing? And, you know, it was like, you know, how do I answer that? I'm going, how do I answer that? You know, um, because it's not, you know, it's a pretty rough time right now. And, you know, one of the, one of the gals, she just said, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm terrible at this. I said, we understand these are, just, these are just little accidents. It's no big deal. But there's actually statements that we're trying to help that we might say to someone who's recently lost a loved one that, that probably are not really touching their heart. It's not helping and I want to go through some of those type of comments just to make you more aware as a, a trusted friend that you kind of have an understanding of the process that they're going through. So here are some common statements or ones like it that I've said in the past and perhaps you have too. Um, I know how you feel. Now, maybe you have lost a loved one, but to they are going through perhaps the darkest hour of their life. They're going, no, you don't. Now, you might want to share with them at some point that this is how I felt when I lost my loved one. Here's another statement, a common one. Time heals all wounds. Well, Time doesn't heal all wounds necessarily, folks. It, the wounds could get worse over time. And so that is not even a, necessarily a statement. Maybe it was helpful for you and your experience, and you could share your story, um, how over time God, you know, or how you receive comfort. How about this one? Think of all you still have to be thankful for. And that can be a true statement, right? I mean, there's still a lot to be thankful for. But the timing of that, when they are new in the intense emotions of loss, even if it's true, it's, it, it could rub them wrong and be just it, the timing is off. And if you're in a relationship with them and they say to you, I have so much to be thankful for, then you go, hmm. That's right. We all have lots to be thankful. You see, if they initiate that statement, that means that's where they're at right now, and you can agree with them. Just be happy he's no longer in pain. And, I, and, I, and you'll hear that. You'll probably hear it today and, and from people, or I mean, from the families, because they... Kevin Kenny went through a lot of, of pain and physical pain and suffering. And so you again say, yes, amen to that. Or I, that's right, you know, I'm so glad he's not. But let them initiate that statement because they may not be so glad yet. They, haven't, they don't have glad feelings or happy feelings that, you know, and they may not be able to go there yet in their whole being. And so they're 
not going to necessarily um, be ready for that. So what can you say? And I want to give you some just general guidelines to say, okay, this, this is, this, I'm, I feel comfortable with going down these, this four, one of these four guidelines or all of them. But let me say this first. Take it off the weight of your shoulders that you have to say something. Your presence, your availability is speaking loud and clear many words that are comforting to them. You don't have to say anything, folks. So just take that off. If you end up not saying anything in, in, in a visitation line this week or whatever, it's okay. But here are some guidelines. Because comfort does flow, then that's what your hope and goal is, is to have comfort flowing through you. Number one, that comfort flows through words of love and concern for the one who is hurting. That you express your, if you love them and know them well, say, just, we love you, I love you, love you so much. We're here for you. Show love and concern for them. We are here for you. We love you. Number two, comfort flows through words of remembrance that honor the loved one who is deceased. So words of honor have comfort connected to them. So, say, he impacted my life because he bop, 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 and tell a quick story. Because that those words of honor like, Oh, praise God, I, I didn't know that about you. I didn't realize that, that he made that impact like that on you. So tell a little story or just how grateful you are. Or in honor, again, honor has comfort connected to it. So honor them. You're such an amazing woman. You're, you're such godly people. I just... You know, I just am amazed at you and I honor you. So words of encouragement and honor have comfort to them. Number three, comfort flows through touch. A touch on the arm, if you're close, a hug. That's no words at all, right? But speaks volumes, giving that hug. Number four, comfort flows through listening. Be that friend that listens well and doesn't give those pat answers back. Just let it lay there. Let it stay there. And then they go, you're safe. You're not going to give me all the answers and all the scriptures that I need to get right. You're just, you're safe and I can talk to you. And they'll bring up these other things about being thankful about, uh, you know, that, that they're pro- where they're processing right now. They'll tell them and you can... Say, yes, I agree with that. So your presence, your, the way you serve them is powerful in blessing a family. I know is sometimes we go, you know, what can I do? What can I do? To and you even ask them, you know, or you say, anything I can do, just let me know. If you mean that, be thinking about what that is and just go do it that week. 
Because nine times out of ten, they're not going to call you back. Even if they something you could do, they're not going to call you back. They feel like they're imposing. So just save your breath. Don't say, is there anything I can do? Just, you know, ask around for friends and family. Know them a little bit better. Come up with some ideas and then just go do it. And if, if it works, it probably will. But at least it expresses what you're trying to share. That you love them and you care for them. And because you did reach out and serve them. I, in these times, you know it, you've experienced it, you can imagine it with these two families right now. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how many people prayed for the healing of my father? How many hundreds or thousands were praying? How many hundreds or more prayed for Jim Price? And I was one at the window like some of you at, outside his hospital room. Interceding for him. And so there is this growth of trust that we're confronted with in times of suffering. Where we don't have understanding, it's not fitting in our computing and our brain, and yet God is saying, are you going to trust me? I am here with you. I'm a man of sorrows and acquainted with, with grief. I am here with you, will you trust me? And so that verse in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Lord, my thoughts and your thoughts are not connecting because I'm just confused here. Can I trust you moving forward? And the mature believer must pass through this journey. It's a part of maturing in Christ. Because if we can always figure it out and fit the, put the, all the scriptures, put it together, okay, now it makes sense. Now, if we could do that, then we, our thoughts are big enough. Our ways and our processes always work. We haven't, can always figure it out. And God is saying, hold it, hold it. Are you going to trust me in the midst of this pain and suffering? Even when you don't understand it. Yes, go ahead and answer. Ask the questions why, the tough questions. And folks, we may never get the answer. We might get some answers as time goes on. Over this weekend together with the staff and elders. Beth Bates lost her father when she was college age. So her comments had a different perspective than some of the others in the room. And a perspective of what God did in her heart over time and giving her understanding in her lost situation. Julia Pierce was in the room. Over four years ago, her and her husband lost their first child, Ruby, 
at about one years of age. Adorable, gorgeous little girl. Her comments and her perspective was unique and different. And, and she's had this time to mature in the Lord in these things. So God has a way of redeeming suffering and bringing something deeper in our life. One is trust, that we trust Him more. And another one is obedience. Go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 10. This is about Christ Himself and the powerful role that suffering had in His own life. In the days of His flesh, verse 7, He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became all those who uh, he be, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So this journey he was on to be the source of all. Uh, of, of eternal salvation for us included a path of suffering where it says he learned obedience. What, what Jesus had to learn anything? What, what is this word learn connected to this perfect life of Christ on earth and he's healing people, teaching and it's powerful and it's bearing great fruit, on and on and on. No, he had to learn obedience, it says, to become that high priest, the source of eternal salvation. I want to go somewhere for a few minutes here before I close with some encouraging scripture. And that is that in this season of the earth, God is going to use suffering. And, and I got this from, from listening to a, a, a video from FAI. FAI is an organization called Frontier Alliance International. And it's an organization I'm going with to Kurdistan in March, March 19th through the 27th. The Israel Missions Committee has been praying with me about this. This is a, a, an area of the world that um, God has developed in Martin Mallory's ministry to Israel. This ministry is based out of Israel, and, but it also ministers in the Middle East and other places. And Martin has been encouraging me to go at some time, and, and, and I've, of course, been praying about it for a long time. And, and with Israel still just locked down and you can't really get in to minister to Israel, Martin's doing a lot in the Middle East, particularly in Kurdistan. And one of the, uh, and, and, and they were talking about their type of ministry that they look for. And it's based out of Luke chapter 21, verses 10 and 11. It, Jesus said uh, in verse 10, Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes, and in various places, plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And they said, as we get closer to the end times, these, these powerful, chaotic, uh, really, really horrible times in some places in the world, if not throughout the whole world, are going to happen. And in God's mind, these are opportunities to minister, serve, and show the true gospel to people that may have been uh, just blocking them out. But now because of suffering, their hearts, their minds are open and it's part of the great harvest of the end times. So they go to the 
to, to the war-torn areas in Syria. They go into the places where Jesus is not known and there's great poverty or child trafficking. They go to those places where there's great suffering to say, Jesus is, we're going to help you in your pain and suffering. And we are Jesus believers. He is your answer for all things. So though what we've gone through in the last 22, 23 months in our nation is so unprecedented for our lifetime, may it not discourage us, but let it motivate us to say, Lord, these are opening doors to show your gospel. I want to talk about comfort as I go in these last few scriptures. Oh, and it's true. How do people go through the loss of a loved one without Jesus Christ? Because he said in, in, in John chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, verse six and seven bit, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus. And this Holy Spirit is, in the Greek, is called parakletos or paraclete which means called to come alongside. So that's why when we read this, these passages in the Gospel of John four times, it says the, the, the Holy Spirit is a helper, or some translations say an advocate, a comforter. He's called to come alongside. Martyr Burke, I, I don't do Facebook much, but in times like this, I want to see pictures.